Stop in the Tijuana Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly appearance, his weekly Monday appearance, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. Of particular interest to begin this edition of Fangraphs Audio is discussion of Matt Carpenter's contract, his extension that he signed with the St. Louis Cardinals. All one needs to do is to ask Dave Cameron, what does this uh, contract look like in context of the other extensions that have been signed recently, uh, and one finds the answer. Additionally, we consider uh, Irvin Santana, the likely destinations for him, and also the size, uh, potential size of his contract, which is smaller than he was hoping, and also perhaps uh, the same size as the qualifying offer that he turned down last fall. Finally, there's uh, some conversation regarding the Dodgers' second base situation, a question to which uh, it's very possible that D. Gordon is currently the answer. Perhaps the most relevant commentary, though, uh, comes not from Cameron himself, but his dog, who has this to say. Spangrass Audio features managing editor Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. Podcast. Oh yeah. Okay. What were you doing momentarily, or just moments before that? I was playing with the dog. Oh okay. Yeah. So, sounds like a good day so far. Yeah, not so bad. We right. uh, we had an ice storm which caused us to lose power on Friday, and then today it's seventy degrees. So you know that happens. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, if you don't have anything better to start off with, let's uh, let's do Matt Carpenter. Does that make sense? Yes, that does make sense. Okay, Matt Carpenter. I don't know if it happened. What did it happen Saturday morning? Did it happen Sunday night? Some or I mean, I think night? it was reported Saturday. Reported Saturday. Okay. Yeah. Matt Carpenter um, has at various points been what was he like? He was like a thirteenth round draft pick, maybe something like that. In the yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. He has been a player who was probably expected to be a role player at best at some point, and then he became a starting. Second baseman, I guess, last year, and now, now he's consi- now he's referred to as a star infielder by Charlie Wilmoth of MLB Trade Rumors. Well, I think a star infielder by simply looking at his production. I mean, uh, like in his major league career, he's been worth something like five and a half wins per six hundred plate appearances. That's very good. Uh, that's excellent. That's one of the best you could say. Yes. Uh, so what was it? Six years, fifty-two million. Yeah. Um, they bought out. What did they do? How many? How many uh, contract years? Or they they got two free, two free agent years plus an option for a third free agent year. So basically buys out his last pre-arbitration year, all three of his arbitration years, and then two or three free agent years, depending on if that option is picked up. Okay. Uh, now, we've referred to – we're probably coming to the end of it, I guess, especially as we get deeper into spring training and uh, as we approach the beginning of the season. But uh, I think last time we spoke, uh, we, we invoked the idea of a of an uh, – um, Extension season. Yep. And what were the uh, what was the sort of window on that again? Well, basically, spring training is the window for the extension. So uh, usually, players will say, "I will negotiate a deal up until opening day," and then once the season starts, I don't want to, you know, distract myself with conversations about uh, signing long term. And you know, the longer they play in season, the closer they're getting to free agency. The more risk they're taking on taking the field without a long term deal. So for the, some players, it makes sense to just say. Opening day is the deadline. Some players will negotiate past opening day. 
Uh, you know, we've seen plenty of deals, uh, signed mid-season. Andre Ethier, uh, you know, got his deal in July. Uh, Cole Hamels signed his deal, I think, right around the trade deadline. So it, it does happen, but, uh, a lot of players say opening day is their deadline. Okay, so so we we have opening day is the uh, and that's what two weeks away now or something a little a little longer than that yeah no, three, three weeks three weeks for domestic opening day two weeks for weird opening day oh yeah is that in Australia this year yeah Australia Australia an opening day what happens at like three in the morning and after getting up for the Japan series a couple of years ago I don't I don't think I'm gonna be getting up for the Australia games this year okay right yeah well I believe the J- the Japan series had that was uh, that also included your Seattle Mariners did it not. It did. That wasn't the reason I got up. I would generally, you know, if I knew the Mariners were playing, I would probably go to bed instead. <laughs> it was also, I believe it was the debut of Juanes Suspedes. Juanes Suspedes. It was, yeah. Right. And I think he, he hit a very long home run off Jason Vargas, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, it might have been Jason Vargas. Might have been Jason Vargas. It I might have it was, been, there was another was reliever. You had a, maybe a reliever wasn't as great either. Which well, was... not, I didn't personally have them. You no, know. you didn't. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, it'll, it'll be the, it'll be the MLB debut for Alex Guerrero, the, the Australia series. Is that, is that probably it? Probably not. He will probably be in AAA. Really? Yeah. I think, uh, all signs point to D Gordon as the Dodgers starting second baseman, which should basically end the concept of people saying that, uh, you know, you ever reach a point where you have so much money that you just, don't have any problems. The Dodgers have a $240 million payroll and they're starting D Gordon at second base. Right. Okay. Well, we're talking about a bunch. Let's, let's start first of all with, let's get to Carpenter. And I guess Carpenter, D Gordon both play, or Carpenter has played a lot of second base. Uh, Gordon will be playing that. So we can use that as a segue in the future. How about? Uh, sure. All right. So let's talk about Carpenter who actually will be a third baseman this year. Uh, I guess, I mean, the question about which I most care, and um, which I assume listeners will most care, is what does this deal look like in the context of those other extensions that have been signed this offseason? Uh, so relative to the other, the other deals this offseason, it's a lot less, but but understandably so, right? So, like, Freddie Freeman got $135 million. Uh, it's a lot more than – it's almost three times what Matt Carpenter got. Freeman is 23. Carpenter, I think, is 27. Uh, so there's a significant age difference here, and I think what we've seen is the premium that teams have been putting on locking up prime years. And I wrote about this maybe a month ago or so, um, specifically regarding the Braves, who signed up uh, a bunch of players through age 30 or 31, or in Andrelton Simmons' case, through 29, I think, uh, where they're not really going into their 30s and they're paying a high price for the, the players' best years. Um, Carpenter, I think, is free, the free agent years he's selling are age 31, 32, and maybe age 33. So he's selling kind of older years than, than other players have been selling. Uh, and I think at the same time, his skill set is also the one that wouldn't have paid as well uh, in arbitration as some others. Uh, you know, his value basically comes from uh, being a quality defender at an undervalued position uh, and having, you know, a solid on-base percentage uh, with a bunch of doubles. Uh, not necessarily the things you go into arbitration and, and can really uh, build a super strong case on. I think, you know, there's no question that he could have made a, a solid case for himself in arbitration and gotten some real money, but this isn't a Mike Trout situation where we're looking at 40 or 50 or $60 million over three arbitration years. He's probably closer to the $30 million range, uh, which means he's selling his free agent years for somewhere in the 10 to $15 million a year range. Okay, and... Uh... 
No, wait, you just mentioned that um, doubles and uh, on-base percentage uh, might not be the best thing to go into arbitration with. But I think you just did a post, uh, did you, this uh, right before the weekend? No, this is today. Look at this. In which you look at, uh, you've looked at projected war relative to, uh, um, what it might be, what we might expect it to be in terms of dollars per win. And, and, and is this actually, is this or is this not a, a reliable way of projecting such a thing? So, so it is. I'm going to guess that you haven't like read it thoroughly in depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially the, today's post is basically building a model looking at what teams actually paid in free agency this last offseason uh, for regular players, not relievers or bench guys, um, and say, you know, can we essentially build a little toy that would estimate their the salaries they would get based only on next year's war? Uh, essentially under the premise, like, if you don't want to deal with aging curves, uh, which are, you know, tricky. I don't think there's any question that trying to project three or four years down the line is harder than it is trying to project next year. If you just want to have one variable and say, how good is this player now, and can I extrapolate his free agent contract from just that one piece of information, how good can we do? And so the model actually does a pretty decent job, um, but it doesn't really apply to guys like Carpenter who are four years away from free agency. Their their contracts are going to look nothing like what the free agent pricing model is going to say. Is there any way you could sort of reverse engineer that though? I mean, because we have there is obviously some sort of model in place that um, the one that MLB Trade Rumors uses quite a bit. Uh, uh, with regard that Matt Sports has used, and I think that there are generally there's like a general uh, what is it 40, 60, 80 assumption based off of a player's arbitration years, or there has been a, a, one in place. I mean, can you kind of can you kind of reverse engineer from that, or is that um, or extrapolate at least from that? Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's actually not that hard to project arbitration salaries, and you know, nothing against Matt Swartz, who's built a really nice model, but uh, what he has done is not like super proprietary and super difficult to to do. A lot of teams have their own models that are very similar. It's it's pretty similar, or it's pretty simple to look at a player's statistics and figure out approximately what he's going to get in arbitration. Uh, just so you know, squeaky toy is in, in inbound. Yeah, it's right. Uh, it sounds the, like it. Yeah, for, the, yeah. for those who missed the squeaky toy, it, it, it is returning. Um, so I think the thing is that those models, the ones like Matt built, don't simply look at 2014 war like the free pricing model that I did. They're going to look at, you know, uh, comparable players in the more traditional statistics because in arbitration, you're really – uh, still limited to things like playing time and, you know, the more traditional statistics. You're not going to get into an advanced discussion of, of ultimate zone rating or, or war in an arbitration setting. So. So Matt Carpenter's good and he's gonna, he's gonna make some money and then he's still gonna be good. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this is the kind of deal that makes sense for both sides. Carpenter may have left a little bit of money on the table, but he was gonna be an older free agent who's not a real toolsy guy. Uh, you know, he's not the the high draft pick pedigree. Uh, even if he had sustained this level of performance or something, you know, not as necessarily his 2013 performance, but, you know, been an above average player for the next four years, he wasn't going to land a $200 million deal as an under-tooled, you know, second slash third baseman heading into his decline years. Uh, he was always going to be a guy who uh, made a little less than what his production would have said. So for him to take a little bit of a, a discount on those free agent years to get the value four years ahead of time is probably a good idea. Okay. Now, uh, with Carpenter's extension done, are there any more that we would expect uh, to be – any more extensions that we would expect to be given out before the, se- <laughs> before the season begins? 
Uh, I think we'll probably see another handful, maybe uh, three to six. Sorry, she 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 really she really wants to play tug. She's uh, very excited. We have this little red dog with a squeaker toy, and she she really likes to play tug of war with it. So yeah, uh, she keeps bringing it to me and insisting we play tug. I'll see if I can get her to tug on it without without the squeaking. Right. Um, I I think uh, I would imagine we'll see another half dozen or so extensions before opening day. There's a there's a good number of players that. Uh, you look at, and you know, as much as we talk about all these deals being in vogue right now, obviously Mike Trout hasn't signed his deal yet. Uh, you know, a lot of the better young players in baseball are not under long-term contracts. The Nationals don't have long-term deals with Bryce Harper, Steven Strasburg, or Ian Desmond, or Jordan Zimmerman, or Doug Fister. I mean, all very good players. Uh, you know, I think there's a, you know, Giancarlo Stanton in Miami. There's a lot of really good young players who would be uh, theoretically eligible for one of these high-priced extensions if they were interested. They might not be interested, but, you know, there, there's some good players still left to be uns- still left to be signed. Now, with regard to the Nationals, it, uh, and I know you were maybe just focusing on one team there, but it, might that be also – might that also be just how the Nationals um, prefer to do business? Or, I mean, is that more about the Nationals or more about those players, do you think? I think it's more about those players. I think, right, the Nationals would sign Bryce Harper tomorrow if Bryce Harper – uh, would sign a long-term deal for a price that made sense for them. I don't think that they're sitting here saying we'd rather go year-to-year with Bryce Harper. And it's probably the same with Steven Strasburg and Ian Desmond. I think, you know, these are the kinds of players that uh, the Nationals would love to keep. They probably can't keep all of them. But I think if they knew they could, you know, pick three of the five, get them under long-term contracts, and then just plan on losing the other two, that's probably something they would do. Um, but the, my guess is the price the players want and the price the team wants to pay are probably not the same. You know, I was watching a little bit of MLB TV yesterday. Uh, there was, a, I think they had a, like a rebroadcast of the uh, uh, Atlanta. There was an Atlanta game. There was a game with the team from Atlanta versus the New York Mets. That's the other team. And afterwards, there was, uh, you know, one of these uh, sort of analysis type shows. And this is not, uh, this is, I'm not singling this out uh, as a form of criticism, but more to sort of, uh, um, because I'm surprised about that this characterization exists. There was sort of, there was a graphic um, which painted, uh, which displayed the top five starters, you know, the, the five starters for the Washington Nationals. And of course, Doug Fister is fourth overall in that group. Um, or at least it was in this particular graphic. And I forget which commentator. He said, uh, look at the first three starters in that group. In this case, excluding Doug Fister. He said, those guys are studs or beasts right. or whatever. Yeah, um, Doug Fister is still criminally underrated. Yeah, that's strange. I yeah. guess, yeah. That's good. Is it just going to keep happening? I, I think uh, – I, I don't know what it's going to take, honestly, for Doug Fister to get the recognition that he deserves – uh, because he, he can't really pitch much better than he has. I mean, even, it doesn't matter whether you look at fifth or runs allowed or innings pitched, whatever. He's been a top ten pitcher in baseball over the last three years. And no one cares. Yeah, is it, is, is it a question of stuff or does he still? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it is stuff, uh, part of it's pedigree, part of it, it was part of a, the Detroit rotation, so he got overlooked by Verlander and Scherzer and even Anibal Sanchez last year, and now he's going to be in Washington where he's going to be overshadowed by Steven Strasburg and Jordan Zimmerman and Gio Gonzalez. I think he's, when you're not the best pitcher on your staff, it's probably hard for people to view you as one of the top ten pitchers in baseball. He's just happened to pitch for the two best rotations of baseball the last few years, and it's like eight of the, you know, 15 or 20 best pitchers in baseball play, pitch for the Tigers and Nationals. Okay. Uh, can you give me an update on Irvin Santana? 
he's still a free agent. Yeah. He will probably sign in the next couple of days for something close to the qualifying offer that he turned down in November. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like he's going to take 13 or 14, maybe $15 million from the Orioles, Blue Jays, or potentially the Braves or some other party that might have a pitcher injury pop up and make them a surprise suitor at the last minute. Um, but he's definitely not going to get anything close to what he wanted. Right. And is, is that a function of waiting, or is it just a function of being Irvin Santana? Uh, I think a little bit of both. I mean, so I think he's essentially waited out the market to where now teams who would have been interested in him have made other plans. And this includes the Royals, who I think, you know, obviously liked him. They traded for him last year. He put up a good year for them. They would have taken him back. But once he indicated that his price was $100 million, they decided they'd rather have Jason Vargas for $32 million. I don't think they'd rather have Jason Vargas than Urban Santana for $32 million. And if they would have been given the choice of, you know, we can give either of these pitchers $32 million, Urban Santana would be a royal, but he didn't want $32 million. He wanted, you know, $100 million or $75 million or $60 million or whatever the number was throughout the offseason. And at every point during the time that he had someone interested in him, there was someone who was significantly cheaper and not that much worse and those teams have made their made their decisions. They already have pitchers in camp, uh, and their offers are no longer valid. So now he's left negotiating with the teams who didn't sign anyone and taking whatever they give him. It's a, the Orioles' rate would be an interesting case because – so what happens is that we know that it made it easier for them to sign uh, Nelson Cruz, right, after they signed Ubaldo Jimenez? Right, because the cost of the qualifying offer goes down since they only have one first round pick to give up. Okay, and so now what happens if they sign, if they were to sign Irvin Santana? Is just they the next give pick? Up a, a third round pick, which is, you know, of minimal value. Right. So if the Orioles signed him, they're basically, they're basically, they won't, they won't have, they won't be picking until the fourth round, roughly. Or yeah, they'll, they'll be punting their entire draft, which is actually, if you're going to sign, multiple free agents, this is the smartest way to do it, rather than signing one every year and losing your first-round pick every year. Right. It just go go after it. Yes. And, and I could... think we've seen teams do this. They, they say, hey, I'm going to spend, I'm going to do it all in one winter, and this lowers your tax, essentially. And they're going to um... – and they'll they'll have decent they'll have a decent staff I guess when it's all said and done. I mean, if you're adding Santana and Jimenez, it's not bad. It's it's not bad. I think the problem for the Orioles is that they're pushing out the wrong guys, right? So the Jimenez deal has reportedly pushed Kevin Gaussman either to the bullpen or the minors. When according to our projections, Kevin Gaussman's their best starting pitcher, including Herman Santana. <laughs> right, right. Uh, their next signing would probably push Bud Norris to either the bullpen or out in trade. But Norris isn't great, but he's not terrible, and he's not that much worse than Irvin Santana. Uh, you know, how much of an upgrade are you really going to get for replacing Norris with Santana? Even if you can trade Norris for something moderately interesting, it's not a huge step forward for the Orioles. Right. Uh, although Bud, Bud Norris, uh, it seems to me like given his uh, repertoire, he would he belongs in the bullpen? He would be a pretty good bullpen pitcher. Yeah. He was. So the problem is he would be a pretty good right-handed specialist. But that's not all that valuable or all that hard to find. Right. It's not like you can just move him to the ninth inning and make him a closer because lefties are still going to own him in the ninth inning too. Right. right. But uh, I, I mean, if you just have a right-hander at the back of your bullpen, you can leverage him. I mean, more than you can a starter, right? Against sure. I mean, but, but I think Bud Norris projects is about a one-win pitcher either as in the rotation or the bullpen. Like in the in the rotation, uh, he gives you more innings. In the bullpen, he will face fewer left-handers. It's a trade-off of which flaw you want. Okay. Okay, and uh, well, in ta- uh, speaking of pushing players out, uh, we mentioned earlier that we would get to it, um, or I I mentioned it. Um, D. Gordon, it, you're it's your belief that D. Gordon will begin the season 
as the starting second baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Correct. The reports on Alex Guerrero's defense have been pretty poor, uh, and I think D. Gordon still has the kind of tools that managers tend to overrate in spring training because he's he's very fast, and that is very obvious and on display all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, when they're, when you're facing AAA pitching, D. Gordon doesn't look like such a terrible hitter, and you can imagine him as a guy who might hit 290. And if you care about batting average and you care about stolen base totals, you can see D. Gordon as a pretty valuable player because if he hits 290 and steals 50 bases. You know, that's a nice thing. Except for, you know, in the, in the major leagues, facing major league pitching, he's probably gonna hit 240, and his on base percentage is gonna be 290, and he's not gonna steal 50 bases, cause he might only get on base 50 times all year. Right, and so he'll be worth roughly a replacement level? Yeah, I mean, he might be like half a win or one win. I mean, he's not completely useless. He's, you know, he especially has some value as a pinch runner, maybe. Uh, and if his defense at second base is better than it was at shortstop, which couldn't be any worse, really, uh, you know, he might be, a slightly above replacement level player, but he's not a he's not a player that a contender should be starting, and he's certainly not a team that a player that a two hundred and forty million dollar payroll team should be starting. They should start Dean Anna. Is that what you're saying? They should acquire Dean Anna <laughs> or any of the second basemen that seem to be not quite freely available, but readily available. Uh, you know, I think there's there's a good amount of second basemen out there that are acquirable. Even like we just saw the Cardinals signed Alednas Diaz, uh, who also might you know not be major league ready, like the Cuban. Alex Guerrero, the Dodgers signed, but he cost $8 million for four years, $2 million a year. Like, you know, maybe the Dodgers should have signed both of those guys and just said, we'll take whichever Cuban looks more capable of playing second base. Yeah, at, at second, well, so second base is a weird position, right? Because sometimes, uh, I mean, you have players like, I suppose, like Chase Utley, right? Who are, um, in their way, sort of, uh, defensive prodigies. Um, and maybe it's because of their arm uh, or whatever reason, uh, they're, or they're just not given a chance. They don't play shortstop. And then you have other cases like um, where uh, I feel like maybe uh, Kelly Johnson or Dan Uglove would be an example of um, Ricky Weeks at times, players who are just put there uh, because maybe they can handle it, and they're a lot more valuable there than they are in left field. Yeah, I mean, second base is, um, you know, the – the dropping ground for guys who don't have enough range to play shortstop and aren't tall. I've written about this a few years ago, but basically if you say second base and third base are both populated by former shortstops, which is almost entirely true, the tall ones go to third base and the short ones go to second base. And, you know, it shouldn't be this way. This isn't the most rational way to make the decision, but this is how major league teams separate out their non-shortstops. Uh, and, you know, guys like Ugla and Kelly Johnson and, and Weeks, they're not tall, so they're not profiled as third basemen. Uh, and they moved to second base, even though they're not very good there. Um, you know, I think with a guy like uh, Gordon, you know, he's small, he's skinny, he's fast, he doesn't have any power. That reads second baseman, so that's where he plays. Well, it seems it seems like uh, – I mean, do we actually know it? Uh, an, um, anecdotal evidence would suggest that if you have more skills – if you, more of your defensive skills are – uh, a portion to range, then you would move to second. And if it's more towards, I guess, hands and arm, it would be to third. Or maybe reaction time. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, probably the most important thing at third base would be first step. Uh, because you're charging a lot of those balls on bunts and, you know, you get a lot of line drives down the line that you can potentially take doubles and turn them into outs. Uh, I, I mean, I think that, you know, there's probably, height's probably not a terrible proxy. Uh, and it, I don't think that every player who, is tall and can't play shortstop should move to second base instead of third base. Um, but I think, you know, there, there probably are short players who belong at third and tall players who belong at second who end up in the wrong position simply because of their 
their body type. Um, but I do think, yeah, I mean, if you have a rangy guy with a fringy arm, he's better at second than at third because you need a pretty strong arm to play third base. Okay. Now you mentioned uh, you mentioned it, but I'm, I, let's just get to it a little bit more. The 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 D Gordon situation relative to Alex Guerrero, et cetera. What either what is the thing that the Dodgers could have reasonably done? Uh, and you started to get to that, and then what's the thing that they could reasonably do now to address it if if they don't want to play D Gordon there and they D, and they consider Alex Guerrero unprepared for the majors? Probably the most reasonable thing they could have done is re-sign Mark Ellis. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he was on their team last year. He's pretty good. I mean, he's not a star by any means, but he's a pretty solid player. Uh, he got $5 million from the Cardinals. Uh, you know, a contending team who, uh, isn't promising Mark Ellis a starting job and has a young player who they're trying to work in and Ellis is going to be a mentor for. Uh, I think Ellis is kind of like the perfect little stopgap for a guy like Guerrero who's, you know, maybe defensively challenged and, uh, might not be ready for the big leagues, but, you know, uh, could be ready to take over the everyday job by the second half of the year. Um, that would have been the easiest thing is just, just keep Mark Ellis and don't let him go to St. Louis who's your primary contender uh, primary competition in the National League. Now that they've not done that, uh, probably you're, you're, so I think the thing is they're looking for, uh, a guy who doesn't necessarily have to compete with Guerrero for the long-term position. So you could say, okay, well maybe they should trade for Nick Franklin, but then they have two young guys who may or may not be, uh, you know, ready to, to be quality second baseman on the contender, uh, neither one necessarily filling the 2014 role as well as say it would be the 2015, 2016, or 2017 role. So now you're kind of looking for like a, a veteran, uh, stopgap guy, a one to two win player, uh, who might not, uh, have a spot on a roster and just might get edged out somewhere else. So, um, who that guy might be, I don't, I don't have any names off the top of my head. Uh, but I think, you know, these kinds of players are generally available in spring training, especially at the end of spring training when, you know, maybe some young kid, uh, pushes his way into a job somewhere else and, and a team that thought they were going to go with a veteran as a, you know, utility player decides that they don't need that guy anymore. And what is, what is one Uribe's contract? I think, what, he got 15 million over two years? Okay. So you could, you don't think that, uh, because uh, Uribe, he feels like, it feels like he's a hundred, but he, I mean, he's, he's not that old, but, uh, <laughs> 34, I think. Okay. I guess he must have started quite young. He, cause he played with the White Sox like a decade For ago. A, a very long time, yeah. I think he came up at 21. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, what if, what if you get Nick Franklin? Can you be like, hey, if you're not, you can play some third base, you can play some shortstop, hand me well, I don't think Nick Franklin's ever played third base in his life. Uh, you know, I think the reality is Franklin and Guerrero probably aren't that different. Uh, you know, depending on, I, I haven't seen Guerrero play, so I don't know how bad his defense is as I can base. Franklin's not a defensive specialist either. Uh, and you know, might not be, uh, a good major league second baseman in 2014. Um, so I think the Dodgers are probably better off looking for a Mark Ellis type of player. Uh, you know, a Nick Punto, one of, one of these type of guys who's a, you know, glove first utility guy who you can start for half the season that won't kill you. Okay. Yeah, it's important not to not to have any murderers on your team. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, unless you're in the NFL, then that's totally okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right, little dig. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, oh yeah, uh, I guess last thing here. It's uh, today's Monday. You're in North Carolina. I am for t- t- for today, and then not tomorrow. And where are you going? I'm going to Phoenix. Where Where am I going? You're also going to Phoenix. Not tomorrow, but Wednesday. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And uh, what are you going to do there? Are you participating in some sort of Conference? Yeah, I'm going to the Saber Analytics Conference, which starts on Thursday. Uh, on Friday afternoon, I will be on the Clubhouse Confidential panel uh, with other people who are on Clubhouse Confidential. 
Vince Gennaro, Rob Nyer, I think Brian Kenny is moderating. Uh, and, uh, we'll be talking baseball and, and I'll probably be trying to, you know, make some jokes. Oh boy. Now, will that be, uh, will that be televised and, and played on Clubhouse Confidential? I don't believe so. It wasn't last year, and I think this is the kind of thing that uh, they probably don't want to put on TV. Why? Because it's uh, full of dead air, mostly. I think uh, you know we're we're okay for thirty second segments. You probably don't want to watch an hour of us bantering about baseball. Maybe you do. I mean, if you do, you should pay a lot of money and come to the conference. Uh, but I don't think the average TV viewer wants to see this. So wait, besides you two, it's uh, what you got? Vince Gennaro is the other one. Yeah, Rob Nyer. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, uh, I was just thinking because Rob Nyer, you might you might have noticed. I don't I don't know how often you go to Fangraphs.com, but he was a guest. He was a guest on the podcast. He was. Yeah, and uh, his his guestiness started a, a little bit of a, a flame war in the comments. Yeah, I think it uh, ended up. He he could be um, he divisive. Can, he can be a little bit. Not on, I think not on purpose, but I think uh, yeah. I think Nyer. Uh, and I think he's sort of considering the Jamesian school, and he he really entertains any idea, no matter how unappealing it is to people. Um, yeah, that's probably a good way of putting it. Yeah. So he yeah. says, "Well, let's try this idea out and see what it looks like." Right. Um, you should maybe have a podcast with him where you just like get him to consider crazy things. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not going to. Well, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but and then and then so it's the three of you and Brian Kenny. Uh, there might be a Ben Lindbergh might be on the panel. Oh, uh, Ben Lindbergh. I, I feel like he could be as well. I don't know for sure. But oh, I Benny like Lindbergh, huh? Yeah, we needed a short person on the on the panel. Mm-hmm. So a short, quiet person. <laughs> he's not that quiet. He goes on TV and talks. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, now listen, the other thing is, uh, what are, when are we? We're going to see each other, and and I I've been led to believe that I have to spend time with Eno on Thursday. Is that right? Well, I don't think we have to. He's going to be in the state, but we can send him away. Okay. Yeah, because I, he was talking about us going to a Reds game. I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go anywhere. Really, you yeah, know. I know. I, I, most likely you're going to end up in a tire dealership. Yeah, that's right. That is For people who don't know that reference, um, one year, what, two or three years ago now? I think it was the first year of our trip. First yeah. year. We, we were going to – the idea was to go to Goodyear Park. I was driving and – That's Eno, where the Reds and Indians play. Where the Reds yeah. and Indians play. And uh, Eno had – Eno was the man with an um, – with an iPhone, and he was going to direct us. Uh, however, when he input the the search, he just put he just looked up Goodyear, yeah. and uh, he found a Goodyear location, <laughs> and it happened to be it happened to be a Goodyear tire location, unfortunately. Right, which is what Goodyear is known for. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, he didn't do a lot of due diligence, <laughs> um, but we eventually found. It. Luckily, it was actually a Goodyear tire dealership in the same direction as the stadium. Right. At least you didn't go to like Mesa or something. Yeah, but it was uh, it was amusing when we showed up. It was re- it was really classic Saris. <laughs> Saris. Saris. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, this has been a waste of time, but um, <laughs> I don't think it's a big deal. Uh, well, thank you, uh, thank you, Dave Cameron. Thanks for having me. All right, that is uh, Dave Cameron. Um, Carson Sestouli has been Fangraphs Audio.